Welcome to Technovation. I'm your host, Peter High. My guest today is John Hinshaw. John is the Group Chief Operating Officer of HSBC, the largest bank in the world for global trade with revenues exceeding $50 billion annually. Prior to joining HSBC, John was the Executive Vice President and Chief Customer Officer at Hewlett Packard Enterprise. In this interview, we discuss why John decided to join HSBC after a period spent on a portfolio of other business opportunities and how many financial industry disruptors come from outside the industry. We discuss HSBC's coopetition with fintech companies and the advantages both sides get from partnering with each other. We also cover why HSBC has shifted from investing in later stage companies to earlier stage organizations in the Series A or angel rounds of investment, and HSBC's partnership with Google to identify financial crime and money laundering. Lastly, we discuss how COVID accelerated the digital adoption curve by three to five years, the future of work at HSBC, John's take on a variety of technology trends such as quantum, 5G, and AI, and a variety of other topics. If you enjoy Technovation, please consider reading my new book, Getting to Nimble, How to Transform Your Company into a Digital Leader. The book is now available on Amazon. As a special offer to our CXO listeners, if you purchase 50 or more books for your team, I'd be happy to join your team for a group discussion on it. To learn more, write us at information at metastrategy.com or visit gettingtonimble.com. Thank you. And now for a word from our partner, Aptio. Sales teams have CRM systems. Human resources leverage HRM systems. What about the CIO, who needs to evolve from a technology expert to a business strategist? In this digital-first world, CIOs and their CFO counterparts must ensure technology decisions are made to deliver business value. It's easier said than done. That's why Aptio, the market leader in technology business management, is committed to helping companies manage, plan, and optimize their technology spend. After all, champions of change need actionable insights they can trust. Learn more at aptio.com. And now on to the interview. John Hinshaw, welcome to Technovation. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. Thanks, Peter. It's great to be with you and great to see you again. Thank you. Well, I've been looking forward to this conversation. So many changes in your world uh, since we last at least were on the record. Uh, change of job, change of country. Uh, you are now the Chief Operating Officer at HSBC. Congratulations on that, certainly, uh, a post you took at the end of 2019. And I'm curious, uh, when you joined the organization then, um, maybe you could talk a bit about the company you joined and the mandate you had uh, for, for change upon joining. Yeah, I appreciate the question, Peter. And it was a really interesting opportunity that came my way after taking about three years off from my last role at Hewlett Packard. Uh, and, and living more what they call here in the UK a plural lifestyle. They call it a portfolio lifestyle in the US. Uh, I was on nine different boards. Uh, I was doing some venture capital work, doing some consulting. Uh, I bought a winery just for the fun of it in Napa Valley. So life was pretty good uh, and, uh, and enjoying a lot of diversity. But then when I got the call to chat with HSBC, I thought, well, that's one worth checking out for, for several reasons, uh, because I knew HSBC is a company uh, that was truly the world's only global bank in the way we operate. Um, certainly the only global bank outside the U.S. Uh, with a rich heritage in Asia. You know, the Hong Kong Shanghai Bank is what HSBC stands for, as many, many would know. Uh, and then broadening to 65 countries around the world. Uh, the the largest bank in the world for global trade, 
uh, $563 trillion of payments uh, that uh, we make, uh, we made last year. So, you know, an incredible institution that was very interesting to talk to, but more interesting than that was the transformation journey that the bank was about to embark on. And the call came to have a chat with Noel Quinn, who's our group uh, CEO, and Mark Tucker, who's the chairman of our board, uh, to chat about coming into this role and really transforming the bank from where we are today to a, a digitized bank that's easy to do business with for customers, uh, that our colleagues could have a better experience with, that would leapfrog a lot of our traditional competition in banking, but also um, be able to fend off some of the fintechs uh, that were uh, getting into banking, but also partner with those fintechs um, and leverage what they've done, not just see them as competitors. Uh, and so the, I think the chance to um, to do all of that on an international scale with with HSBC was very, very attractive to me. And, and candidly, uh, you know, a chance to jump into uh, the financial services industry, which is in the middle of how the world works uh, every day, um, was really interesting. And so while, while technology has always been interesting, you know, I had a stint in aerospace and a stint in telecommunications. Um, I think this has been really the most interesting role I've ever had. That's that's fascinating to hear, hear that, especially given the the heights you've climbed in companies like Verizon and Boeing and HP, as you've mentioned. Uh, and and I, I think it's so interesting as well as I think about the diversity of your career as an IT executive, as a tech and ops executive, now as a COO, uh, of course, you've mentioned your your leadership uh, in, in the form of board membership at a number of directorships uh, at publicly traded companies as well, including ones in the financial services space. And so it's not as though this was a completely foreign uh, industry for you. But interesting to, to think about how each experience sort of draws from the next. Have you found that because you are, you were relatively new as an executive to this industry that you were able to have kind of that novice's mind, if you will, the, the able to see with a, a new light in ways that perhaps, uh, people that were career financial services executives might not. I, I think that's definitely true, Peter. I, I think that, um, look, the financial services industry, uh, for many roles needs deep, uh, experience in the trade. If you're a trader, that experience is really important. You know, if you are creating unique algorithms, you know, for the financial services industry that require a lot of experience in that space, then, then yes, I think growing up is very important. You know, many other functions in, in risk management, uh, in, you know, financial crime, in a lot of areas, you wouldn't want to bring in necessarily an outsider. But in the COO role, which really looks across the company, both in technology and operations and in how we run the bank day to day, you certainly need great leaders in uh, key roles who have financial services experience. And actually, one of the things I, I've enjoyed doing is bridging folks that have 25, 30 years of experience with some fresh eyes um, to look at some of the challenges. And if you think about a lot of the fintechs that we're competing with now, a lot of those folks did not grow up in financial services. They grew up in technology. And so, and, but they see an opportunity. Um, they see where profit centers are. And so they want to come in and, and do that. You think about the people that started groups like PayPal or, or other, um, you know, financial services industry disruptors. They often didn't come from the industry. And so I, I do think that it was interesting to me and interesting to HSBC to have that fresh set of eyes coming in, all the while, to your point, some experience with the board of the Bank of New York Mellon. Actually, uh, HSBC was one of the uh, companies I was the executive sponsor for at HP, so I know a little bit about 
the bank uh, from that. Uh, and, and I think it's actually been really, really interesting to both learn financial services, but also take a fresh approach to some of the things that might have been looked at more traditionally. That's interesting. And as somebody who was so immersed in Silicon Valley, working for arguably the the founding company of Silicon Valley and HP, somebody who advised and invested in a number of companies in that space as well, has that been useful? I can only imagine it's been tremendously useful as the organization has contemplated its own digital transformation. Talk a bit about the form that has taken and how uh, you've drawn from your experience in in Silicon Valley and bringing perhaps some new perspectives to, to the bank. Yeah, that's been really interesting, Peter, because, uh, you know, we are doing so many innovative things at HSBC across our vast bank. You know, we have 50,000 technologists that work at HSBC every day, one of the largest technology organizations in the world. You know, we'll spend north of $6 billion on technology this year. And, uh, and when we need to do that in order to care for our customers around the world, but more and more, we need to do that in an innovative way. Um, you know, banking is traditionally very uh, infrastructure intensive, um, you know, core banking systems that, that process all the trillions of debits and credits every day that come through were traditionally grown up on mainframes were traditionally built in big data centers. And that's the way it's been run for many, many years. But a lot of the new innovative technology is cloud based. It comes out of Silicon Valley, comes out of the fintech community. And bridging those two worlds is really, really important. And so, you know, I think that is one of the strengths I bring to HSBC is having lived and breathed Silicon Valley for a decade uh, and being in technology my whole life um, to think a little differently about how we take workloads to the cloud. And I'll give you a great example of that. So um, we're partnering with Google, one of uh, the other, the newer darlings of Silicon Valley. Uh, HP is the foundation, but you would clearly say Google today is at the heart uh, of Silicon Valley's present and future. And we partnered with them uh, to take a different approach and look at financial crime and money laundering, um, which is a critical issue for financial services. You know, we have the responsibility for our customers and for our regulators uh, and law enforcement uh, to look at all of the financial transactions. We process trillions of them a day and figure out which of those might be criminal in nature, which of those might be fraudulent in nature. And that takes a lot of computing horsepower, takes a lot of data and analytics. And we were doing that in a very traditional way historically. Well, Google came to the table and said, hey, with our Google Cloud, we've got sort of unlimited scale. Um, You know, with our analytics capabilities, we think we can do things very differently that will shorten the time to find financial crime, that will remove a lot of the false positives that you get today of financial crime. Because when you're looking at trillions of transactions, you get a lot of things that might look a little off, but they're actually okay. Um, But we have to have somebody look at that and analyze it and make sure that it is. So we partnered with Google to do that. And I got to tell you, it's a great partnership. Um, You know, I was with Tom Curian last week uh, talking about the partnership. And and we're doing something that no other bank's ever done in in looking at that uh, financial crime challenge. And only really Silicon Valley and the way they think, you know, the way Google thinks and and technologists think can help us bridge that gap. So there's a lot of other opportunities like that, especially in big data and analytics. Uh, There's a lot of opportunities uh, around the payments world and and how payments are processed every day that, that I think we can leverage Silicon Valley technology. Uh, and many other ways that, um, you know, I think we are going to be forward thinking. I, I would also say that 
it's not just Silicon Valley, um, but a lot of the uh, fintech and startup community out of Asia, out of Hong Kong, out of China, of course, you know, our heritage, um, you know, we are the Hong Kong Shanghai Bank. When you when you land in Hong Kong, you say, take me to the bank. They take you to HSBC. Uh, when, you, when you go to the ATM and get money out, we actually printed that money. We're the treasury uh, for Hong Kong. Um, and there's a lot of innovation coming out of Asia that we're partnering with as well. Um, you know, companies like Alibaba uh, and many others that um, that are bringing both East and West innovation to the table, which is very interesting as well. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I want to return to a point you made, which I think is so fascinating, the co-opetition you have with the fintechs. And it sounds like you have a very nuanced approach as you think about those partnerships. I, I think a lot of executives... Uh, at, at comparable banks might view them as primarily, that is the fintechs, as competitors. And it's interesting to think about you, the, the way, the nuanced thought process you've incorporated of thinking about, of course, there's going to be aspects to what they do that are competitive to, to some of the work that HSBC does. But there's also um, the opportunity to develop an ecosystem of sorts that pulls them in uh, for partnerships in some some creative ways as well. Maybe peel back the onion a little bit further on that, John, because I think it's a really interesting approach that you're describing. You know, it is. It was one of the things that attracted me to HSBC because part of my remit is I also run our venture fund uh, where we've invested several hundred million dollars in fintechs around the world. And most of those investments are with companies that were using their technology as well. And so it's a virtuous circle of we like their technology. We trial it. It works well for us. We make an investment so they can expand. We then test their technology at scale. We help them grow. We usually have a board seat or an advisory role and it just builds on itself. Um, they get the advantage of, you know, a, a working product in one of the biggest banks in the world. We get the advantage of helping to guide and direct their capability. And if we make money on the investment, all the better. We'll reinvest it in another opportunity. And so we've, we've taken that that existed when I arrived and really, um, I would say uh, leveraged it exponentially in a couple of ways. Uh, one, we used to invest more in later stage companies that had kind of gotten established, uh, had a lot of customers. Maybe we were their first really big customer. Um, the downside of that, as I learned in Silicon Valley, is uh, to really get the strong returns and to shape the company, you got to start early. You got to start in the A round, maybe even the angel round. So we're doing more of that. Um, we also sort of managed it as, as not as a separate effort from uh, using the technology to truly innovate and transform the company. And so I've hired a, a woman uh, named Catherine Zhao. Uh, she formerly ran the digital and retail bank for East West Bank. And she's now in charge, reporting directly to me, of all of our uh, digital innovation and partnerships and our venture fund. And so she's got the Google relationship, for example, I mentioned earlier. Uh, she's working with all the fintechs, working with a lot of the venture capital firms who we partner with in these companies, and really building this virtuous ecosystem around our bank. And, you know, I, I don't think any other bank is, is doing it quite like we are. I think there's certainly the, an investment arms, but, but not as integrated into capabilities and products that we're rolling out um, across our bank. Security is an area that we're especially focused in uh, as cyber is ever present, ever threatening every day. And there's a lot of very interesting tools. We were a very early investor, for example, in CrowdStrike um, that you know has been quite successful. We, we, they're, they're a perfect example of a, of a company that we invested in early, matured, and you know, would still use their products and still connect well. 
That's fantastic. I, I wonder if you could share some perspectives on what you've learned about customer preferences as they uh, choose to interact with a, a company like HSBC digitally and the extent to which that's been uh, evolved or, or perhaps even pushed uh, past the point of evo- just evolution towards some kind of revolution uh, as a result of the, of the pandemic. What are, what are some of the learnings there, John? You know, that's probably been the most interesting thing about the past year um, in our digital transformation because we were headed in a direction anyway. Um, you know, we were going to move all of our key customer facing products and services to a much easier to use digital platform. The demand was was there. We were seeing adoption across the board. And then we had a year ago, actually, this week, you know, the world kind of shut down uh, due to the pandemic, although we got an early warning on that from our Asia presence as we saw things evolve in China and other other nearby places. Uh, so we were, I think, a little bit ahead of the game. We can talk about that later around what we were ready to do with our employees and, and, and rollout programs for our customers because we had started some of that in Asia already. But what we saw as soon as things locked down was one, um, you know, customers really didn't have a lot of other choice uh, than to interact digitally. You know, if, if they were maybe on the fence, am I going to make this payment online or am I going to write a check and go down to the mailbox or or am I going to uh, go to an ATM machine or am I going to use cash? Uh, they very quickly said, oh, you know, there's actually risk in doing that for me uh, of, of, you know, being exposed to the pandemic or having to leave my uh, place of safety here. So I am going to I am going to go digital. So we saw a huge adoption of digital capabilities for people that hadn't historically uh, done that. And for people that were sort of using half digital, half manual, they went fully digital. And then for, for transactions like new account openings, you know, in the past, we would give them a choice. Would you would you like to do it digitally? Or would you like to come into a branch and open an account? Well, the branches were closed. And so there was there was no option to go into a branch. Uh, in many cases, you, you had to do it uh, digitally. Then we had governments around the world saying, you need to help your customers. And we said, we'd love to help our customers, you know, with these with these government sponsored programs. And in the U.S., it was the payroll protection program. In the U.K., it was the bounce back loan uh, scheme uh, where uh, government said, you know, we're going to back you to fund small businesses, especially who need to stay in business through the pandemic. But that needs to be a completely digital offering that you put out. You know, there's not going to be any place for them to go to sign up. They need to be able to do it online from soup to nuts, you know, within a day and get their money very quickly. So we had to we had to innovate very quickly on on uh, building capability for these customers in the pandemic Uh, that got them into a digital flow and digital life cycle that will carry through for them. Um, And then I think also there were programs like in Hong Kong where. The government said we're going to give you know every single um, Hong Kong citizen ten thousand Hong Kong dollars, about fifteen hundred U.S. dollars, uh, and so we had to get ready to immediately propagate that, and then of course also scale up because every single citizen wanted to see when is my ten thousand dollars in my account, and so we saw record volumes and, and transactions in many many of our systems around the world. So it it really did change the way we. Uh, look at the digital adoption curve. I think we probably leapfrogged three to five years in the digital curve, and it's not going back. You know, folks who have migrated to digital now, they're not going back. You know, nobody wants to use paper. Uh, one of the companies I was uh, on the board of directors for for six years, DocuSign and other electronic signature companies certainly became 
very important in this pandemic. Nobody wants to do a physical signature, mail things back and forth. Uh, you know, they want to get it done quickly online. So ton of opportunity there. Really great timing, uh, you know, as I was joining the bank to help us pivot in that direction even faster. Yeah, it's interesting. You've mentioned in a few different cases just how global this business is. And I'm curious, how do you think about where what work is done? How is your team, for example, divided across the uh, the world? And to, to any extent, is that determined based upon the kinds of work or even the kinds of uh, adoptions of certain certain practices in one geography or another. I think, for example, of the fact that mobile payments and, and frankly, just even mobile use advanced so much earlier in some Asian countries relative to the West and their level of sophistication. I'm painting with a broad brushstroke here, but in, in some of those jurisdictions are, are remarkably progressive. And so thinking about how you, what kind of work needs to be done at what pace where must be an interesting puzzle to solve. It really is. And I would say, you know, the senior team is, is split between Hong Kong, London, and the U.S. We have senior leaders in, in all three geographies. Makes, uh, you know, our huddle staff calls a little tricky because we got to figure out, you know, sort of midday here in, in the U.K., which is early morning in the U.S. and, and early evening in, in Hong Kong uh, to all get together. Um, but the senior team split up. You know, the, the, the organization is heavily concentrated in uh, both China and in India. Uh, we have very large offshore centers in both uh, of those countries. Uh, we also have offshore centers in places like Manila, uh, in Sri Lanka, uh, and uh, in Mexico and, and, and many other countries. Um, but the, the concentration is definitely in India and China because we built up great uh, locations and centers there over the years. And to your point, we definitely saw digital adoption happen faster in Asia, both before I arrived at the bank and then certainly in the last year, that's been, that's been very, very true. You know, we have a pay me application in Hong Kong that we spun up very quickly on the digital payments front, uh, and, and got mass adoption quite quickly. We, by the way, we did that one on the Microsoft cloud. It was a part of, great partnership with Microsoft in innovating quickly in their cloud uh, for the pay me application. Uh, so I, the team is certainly spread. This is the most global organization I've ever been involved with by far. And, and uh, you know, the team is uh, very functional operating in many geographies. I think it's been, you know, a little interesting the last year. The team was also very used to traveling, you know, between Hong Kong and London, between London and the U.S. Um, and sort of getting used to the Zoom world of, uh, you know, figuring out how we can balance time zones, figuring out how we can get to know each other. When we haven't met, you know, half of my senior team. So I've got 12 direct reports, six of them I've never met in person. Um, you know, I hired them virtually and they started virtually. Uh, and so hopefully in the next few months, uh, I actually get my first uh, COVID shot tomorrow uh, here here in London. So uh, hopefully in the next few months, uh, we'll be able to all get together. Yeah, well, I, I, good for you, John. I'm so pleased that's the case, and and I, I certainly uh, uh, wish you all the best with that, and 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 your your ability to see your team in person, some of them for the first time. Um, I wonder what what sort of conclusions are you drawing as a as a result of this grand experiment that's been forced upon all of us? Are there any changes you foresee in terms of the way in which we are working now that will remain silver linings in terms of uh, progress that's been made or n- new means of interaction that but for the this being forced on all of us, uh, wouldn't necessarily have come to pass? Well, your timing's really, really good. I actually uh, hosted a meeting yesterday with several of my peers to talk about 
when we come back into an office environment here in the next few months, what that's going to look like. And it is going to be very, very different than it was a year ago when we left. You know, we have the Canary Wharf headquarters in, in London. Uh, we have our Hong Kong uh, headquarters. We have other large headquarters buildings around the world. And historically, those buildings were places where many folks would commute an hour or two uh, every day in and then, you know, be at their desk and doing emails and doing video calls with with colleagues around the world. And and then they would finish their day and they would commute back. And then the last year, the opposite has happened. They haven't been commuting at all. They've been at home and they've been functional and, and working so again, doing email, doing video calls, doing meetings. But we're not going to go back to where we were a year ago. Um, we're going to use the office in a very, very different way than it was used ever before. The office, the only reason to come into a headquarters office should be for collaboration, innovation, co-development with your colleagues, socialization with your colleagues to get to know them, you know, because we haven't spent time with them, connecting with customers, connecting live with suppliers. But if you're, you know, if you look at your calendar and your day is virtual meetings and emails, don't come into the office. You know, there's no point in spending that commuting time. We've proven that you're perfectly productive and even sometimes more productive by uh, working from home. And so if you're if you're coming into the office, it should be very purposeful. And so we've also in the last year that we've been away from the office, we've ripped out a lot of the infrastructure in our buildings. In fact, my office and all the senior executive offices are gone. Uh, we're going to be in an open floor plan uh, and all where our office space was are now collaboration centers uh, where teams will get together, whiteboard, digital whiteboards, uh, walls that are actually painted that can be written on, um, you know, innovative furniture that can be moved around in a different uh, configurations and such. Um, and, and a lot of those kind of open spaces so that we can tackle a problem like the future of payments or, um, you know, our mobile X platforms, next generation or the next adventure that we're on, or we can bring a fintech in and start to, you know, co-collaborate together. So that will be what happens in the offices in the future, not simply showing up to sit at a desk and, and crank through things you could do anywhere. That's very interesting. Well, you've noted a number of uh, trends that you're looking to seize and take advantage of, John. I wonder if there are others that you've not mentioned that you're particularly excited about that might be the centerpieces of some innovative ideas that you and the team are focused on now. Well, there's a lot of innovation in the pipeline. You know, that's, that's the wonderful thing about technology uh, is that uh, there's always a lot of innovation coming out. Certainly, areas like quantum computing are just starting to break through and be a reality for practical applications uh, in the financial services area, be able to replace some of these core banking, you know, mainframe systems that we've been on uh, for 50 years in some cases, that nothing has really been able to process the kind of volumes that we've looked at. With quantum computing, we will certainly uh, be there. You know, I, I think with um, the whole 5G rollouts that are happening around the world where, you know, your connectivity will be instant and always. That says a lot about the financial future of our customers. So what we want to be long. I mean, today we are a bank in, in, in your pocket. Um, similar, I mean, anything you want to do banking wise, it's, it's on your phone in your pocket. But the future is as soon as you think about something in your financial future, you'll be fully connected and you'll be able to, you know, 
connect with HSBC live and say, hey, I'm thinking about buying this house. All right, here are the mortgage options for you. Boom, 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 boom. Um, you know, I'm thinking about, I heard about this company I want to invest in. Okay, right there, there you go. Um, so, so I think you'll, you know, this 5G world will make it even more real time uh, than, than what we have today. And we're thinking already and starting to do some lab work on what that might uh, certainly look like. I think, you know, the, the artificial intelligence world, as, it, as it's called, um, you know, often it's AI is often just analytics and information, but sometimes it's artificial intelligence um, in, in the sense of we have so much data on our customers today, all the payments they make, transactions they have. You know, how can we with, of course, data privacy and, and the right authority and approvals from them? How can we help them think about their financial future and actually save them money? For example, when they're traveling, let's say you've got a traveler between the UK and the US. Well, they shouldn't need to worry about foreign exchange. They should be able to use their HSBC account to make transactions in the US the same way they would make them in the UK, irrespective of uh, the credit card or the or the type of account they have. And that should be true in any currency around the world. So I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity to really, you know, our our, our new slogan at HSBC, our new uh, principles and values centers around opening up a world of opportunity for our customers. So we just actually rolled that out in the last month. And I think it's perfect for the mission that we're on. John, you mentioned earlier that you had been living a plural or portfolio life for some time, for some three years in between your full-time posts. That included, I believe you said, nine board positions. You were uh, very much involved in winemaking, which I had the great pleasure of uh, partaking of some of that uh, with, with your wonderful hospitality. I, I wonder, what did you learn during that interregnum between full-time positions with uh, your, your mind on a variety of different things, so many uh, fascinating puzzles to solve. What did you learn about what you were seeking, what you were looking for? I'm curious, rare is it for people, especially in their 40s as you were during this period as somebody who's risen so quickly in your career with a lot of runway ahead of you? What did that experience uh, teach you about yourself and what you were seeking? Well, Peter, it's a great question, and I feel very fortunate that I had that three years to think about that that question. What did I want to do next, or or did I want to just continue in in a portfolio lifestyle? And I think, you know, the world we live in gives us that opportunity often to do a lot of different things um, at the same time. As we get a little later in in our careers, and and you know, for me, I was fortunate uh, to get started a little early and to have some great opportunities, uh, and then to take that time to think about what I wanted to do next. And for me, it was, I needed something I could wake up every morning, really excited and enthused about the company I worked for, about the location I worked in, about the mission that I was on, about the people that I was around. And so I became very, very selective. I probably looked at 30 or 40 opportunities before HSBC during those three years. But none of them met all of those criteria. And candidly, what, what would be good for my family? You know, I now have, uh, in addition to Julia, my wife, I have uh, an 18-year-old, a 14-year-old, a 10-year-old. And so where would they thrive as well? Uh, not just what was, you know, good for my career. That was really important. And I, I remember saying to Julia early on, um, I'm not even going to consider this unless, you know, you're really excited about London and what this could be for our family and all of that. And she was all in immediately with that, which is, which is great. I think it also, I think helps, and I've said this often, I think it's really good for senior executive operators to get some 
board experience. I was actually in a conversation earlier today about this because it, it does give you a different lens to view the problems or challenges that you're facing. And also in the world we live in every day, you're juggling so many different priorities, so many different issues. And being in that port portfolio lifestyle where every day was a different company, a different issue kind of helps you um, in a very complex, um, diverse environment like HSBC. So I think it was a great three years. Uh, it really taught me a lot about what I wanted to do next, um, what was important to me. Uh, I've actually had a lot of folks I've had a chance to talk to who wind up in similar situations where, you know, all of a sudden they find themselves with an early retirement or you know, with an unexpected opportunity to look around, take a fresh start. And my advice to always to them is take your time, you know, really sit back. Don't jump at the first thing that comes along or even the second. Figure out what's really important to you and then take the time to, to think about it. And, and for me, that that really paid off. No words of wisdom, certainly, John. Well, I, I, it's a, I, I'm so so pleased that you found such a such a wonderful opportunity, and thank you for taking a little time today to talk a bit about it. This remarkable journey you've been on in a most unusual year, uh, but what sounds like tremendous progress you and your team are making. I look forward to remaining abreast of the continued progress, and um, I, I'm, I'm I continue to be honored by your friendship. I'm I'm so pleased to have a reason to catch up with you again, John. Likewise, Peter, really great to talk with you again and hope to see you very soon.